Well, not in our lifeline to God. I opened this book some days ago, and I was studying this particular chapter, Hindrances to Prayer, and words began to pop out at me all over this page, the one that is reproduced on the back of your bulletin. I would encourage you to mark the words that became very real to me as I thought of knots in our lifeline to God. In Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity, there's the word, iniquity, the first knot, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Circle that. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. There's the key. You do not ask, not number two. James 4, 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. With wrong motives. Number three. In 1 John 3, 21 and 22, we get whatever we ask for because we are obeying. That's the word obeying him and doing the things that please him. And then in John 15, 7, if ye abide, there's the word abide. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done for you. Then in James 1, 6 and 7, but let him ask in faith without doubting. There's the key phrase, in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Second Chronicles 7:14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble, there's the word, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. What an outline on prayer. Knots in our lifeline can be iniquity, not asking, wrong motives, lack of obedience and abiding, a doubting spirit, no faith, and pride, no humility. One of the more frustrating experiences of life is to pray and not receive an answer. Do you agree? We've all had that experience in life. It's frustrating. When that happens, people give reasons. Some of them I have heard are as follows. The heavens are brass. I can't get through. God doesn't care. And it's just about in that tone that it said, God doesn't care. I'm not worthy. I don't say the right things. I don't know how to pray. This one I heard not long ago. Is God out to lunch? That's an honest expression. And this one, too. He really does play favorites, doesn't he? Oh, I heard a little titter on that one. Somebody got quoted. Well, all kinds of reasons that we come up with for our prayers not getting through, but they're not really good ones. 
We need to take this book, the Bible, and find out what hindrances there are to prayer. What are nots in our lifeline to God? And so, here we go. Six steps. Number one is iniquity. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin separates, folks. Sin divides. When you open the Bible and begin to read, you do not go very far until you find that truth. Adam and Eve were in a garden. Everything was gorgeous, wonderful. God walked with them and talked with them. They had fellowship together, but man sinned, and God was separated from them. He could no longer walk with them in the cool of the day. He had to communicate through different means to them. A blood sacrifice was necessary to restore any kind of fellowship because sin separates. David had to pray in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He had been separated from God by his sin. Psalm 51 is his great expression in prayer, getting back to God, confessing his sin, asking the forgiveness of the Lord for his iniquity. Nathan came to him, pointed a finger in his face, and said, Thou art the man. David thought he had his sin covered. He did not know anybody knew. He forgot the power of God. And iniquity was separating him from the Lord. And it ate on him like a cancer until he fell in the presence of God and said, In essence, I can't take this anymore. I cannot go on like this. Oh, God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Sin separates. I've learned something from agriculture that helps me spiritually, though I am not a farmer nor even want to be. I don't even want to have a garden. Because weeds grow in it, and I hate weeds. And it takes too much care. And I don't have the time, but bring me the results of your gardens, please. <laughs> I like what comes out, but I don't want one. But I've learned something in the little I've had to do with the soil. You have to break the soil to produce a crop. You cannot go out and cast the seed on the ground and expect it to grow. You have to break up that soil and let the seed get planted into the soil. The soil must then germinate the seed. The water must come on that seed and into that soil before a crop can ever come. And God is saying to us, the big thing in prayer, you don't break up the soil. You don't get down to bedrock and deal with what needs to be dealt with. Broken clouds produce rain. Broken grain gives bread, and broken bread gives strength. It was the broken alabaster box that gave forth the perfume that blessed Jesus. 
It was Peter weeping bitterly that brought forth power after his denial of the Lord Jesus. My friends, there needs to be more brokenness in the church. There needs to be more brokenness in our lives. There needs to be true repentance before God. For if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's a knot in our lifeline to God. I don't read the funny papers. I don't have time. They're more important things. But I do like peanuts. Charlie Brown and all those other wonderful characters that Schultz has dreamed up. And you know Schultz is a Christian. That's why I get spiritual truth out of peanuts. I've got a couple of them for you this morning. They're just delicious. The golf pro met Charlie in the clubhouse at the golf course. And he said, Charlie, you used to play golf with Pete all the time, but you don't anymore. Why? Charlie answered with a question of his own. Would you play golf with a guy who tees the ball up in the rough, gives himself even the long putts, and cheats on the scorecard? The pro thought a moment and said, no, I guess I wouldn't. And in the last little box, Charlie said, well, neither will Pete. <laughs> I like that. Well, neither will God. There's the spiritual punch. Neither will God. He's not going to play ball with somebody who cheats on the scorecard and tees the ball up in the rough and gives himself even the long putts. God says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, I won't hear you. I won't play ball with you. You've got to come clean with me. You've got to play according to the rules. You need to untie that knot in your lifeline to God. This is a good place to be to do it today. In the name of Jesus, do it. And you'll find heaven open to you. Number two, not asking. Incredible. Incredible. Not asking. Can you imagine it? You do not have because you do not ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And catch this, Jesus said it. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. That's why I say incredible that we would even have to bring it up. Not number two in our lifeline to God. You do not ask. How is it that we forget some of the most important things in life? Anniversaries. Birthdays. We have saved more marriages in this church by printing anniversary dates in the bulletin. We will never stop that procedure because it's part of the family life department. I've had men stop me in the hallway and say, in essence, Pastor, I don't know who to thank, but 
please thank whoever is responsible for having the anniversaries in the bulletin. I found mine there today. (laughs) We forget appointments that affect our future. I know a fellow who lost a job by forgetting an appointment, an interview. I have known those who have forgot to set the alarm and missed airplanes and very important engagements. And I know people who forget to ask God. Remember, you have not because you ask not. Will you remember to ask? He's interested in the little things. He's interested in the big things. He's interested in everything. And he says you just do not have because you forget to ask. Remember to ask. We get in deep trouble when we forget. A preacher had a unique way of waking up his congregation. It bugged him terribly when people were falling asleep. And he saw a deacon one Sunday falling asleep, and it just got to him, and he said real loud, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And a hymn book hit the floor with a bang, and a deacon sat up straight. And when he had their attention, he said, it was my mother. There was a visiting preacher in that church that day, and he liked that result, and he went back to his church the next Sunday, and sure enough, a deacon was asleep. And he said, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And this deacon's head hit the back of the pew with a bang. And the preacher stood there with a funny look on his face and finally said, and for the life of me, I can't remember her name. (laughs) You've got to remember. Ask. Now, if I hadn't told that story, you wouldn't have remembered this point. Now you will remember. When you forget certain things, you are in deep trouble. And this is one of the biggest. Ask. Untie the knot in your lifeline to God. Don't forget to ask. Talk to God. He wants you to. You have not because you ask not. Number three, wrong motives. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. This can be translated wrong desires. Now how does this translate down to our different lives? Well, I think it somewhat works this way. We ask God for a promotion at the expense of someone else. Wrong motive. Wrong desire. We want to get ahead of someone else. You can't pray that way and expect God to answer. 
I know there are people who pray for things that won't do them any good. God, would you give me this? Give me that. And God says, no. Because it won't do you any good. It's the wrong motive. It's for self. And it will just feed the lusts of your life. So no, I won't. And they think God hasn't heard them. It's wrong motive and wrong desire. I think there are people who pray many times to satisfy the lust of their flesh. Those things are real knots. Untie them. Even your prayer must not be heard of men. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot pray for other men to hear you. You go into your closet and pray. And there say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Oh, thy will be done on earth. Then I can't pray this prayer because I've prayed it for myself and it's wrong. Thy will be done on earth. Forgive us our trespasses, all oh, my iniquities. Lord, I've got to ask your forgiveness. You see how Jesus taught us to pray? Your motives in prayer, if you ask anything according to my will... I will do it. And the girl who prayed, Lord, I'm not asking for myself, but please give my mother a son-in-law. <laughs> Motive. Desire. It has to stand the scrutiny of heaven. Make sure that you're praying in the will of God. A lady came to me after the early service over a big decision. She said, Pastor, I have to know by tomorrow. I took her hands. I said, on the authority of Jesus' word, we will agree in prayer that if it's his will, the door will open. You will have peace in your heart. And if it's not, the door will close. Your motive is right. I sense that. Your desire is correct. We prayed together, and I believe before this day ends, that sister's going to know because her heart is right. That's what I'm talking about. If you ask anything according to my will, your motives have to stand the scrutiny of God. Fourth, the lack of obedience and abiding that is talked of over and over again in the Word. And the fifth thing is closely related, a doubting spirit. Obedience and abiding and a doubting spirit. We get what we ask because we are obeying Him. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done. One of the great statements in the Old Testament was made by Samuel to King Saul. Saul was tired of waiting for the prophet Samuel to come back to create the sacrifice that was needed. So the king proceeded on his own to make the sacrifice. And when Samuel returned, he smelled the burning of animals. And he sensed that Saul had moved ahead of the prophet of the Lord. And as they stood face to face, Samuel said to the king, Saul, God wants you to know this. Obedience is better 
than sacrifice. It was like a dagger in the heart of Saul. And from that moment, the career of Saul went downhill until he was a suicide on the fields of Gilboa because Saul did not obey and abide in the Word of God. Do you think you will get by any better? It is an absolute necessity. Why is it so hard to obey and abide? We believe the newscasters. We believe the newspaper reporters when they write their articles. Is it difficult for us to believe God and obey God when He says to tithe and we disobey? When He says to do thus and so and we don't obey and we don't abide? Why can't we believe God? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The doubter is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Do you know people like that? Their lives are up and down, driven and tossed by the wind. There's no solid footing. They are weak, unsubstantial often broken apart by the fierceness of the wind. The reason points four and five, lack of obedience and abiding, a doubting spirit. Little Sally in Peanuts was distraught. She complains to her brother, Charlie Brown, I'm doomed. I have to write a report on rivers and it's due next week and I just know I'll get a failing grade. Charlie Brown says, well, why don't you work real hard and turn in the best report that you can possibly write? She looks at him with puzzlement and wonder and then says, you know, that never even occurred to me. <laughs> when all else fails, obey and abide and believe. Why is it we struggle with that so in life? Have faith in God. God will support you when everything else is breaking up underneath. God's arms are everlasting arms. God's promises are everlasting promises. It occurs to me as a leader of people in spiritual things that we would have to say, as little Sally said, you know, that never even occurred to me to obey and abide and believe. But it is that which has to occur to us if we're going to untie the knots that open the windows of heaven and bring God's power into our being. Are you listening? If you abide in me, if you obey me, if you will have faith in me. Number six is pride. P-R-I-D-E. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins and will heal their land if my people will humble themselves. Sometimes in my past, I have missed some great opportunities because of my pride. 
You have too. All of us have. I learned a real lesson when I was an evangelist for a few months, traveling from church to church, preaching the gospel in crusades. In one of the services, I would have a special sermonette for children. It was a specially announced thing. And in that sermonette, I was trying to explain how important it is to believe. And so I would hold up a silver dollar. I would try to find the newest one I could, and the shiniest one possible, and I would be talking to these children, and I would say now, the first one who comes to this platform and takes this silver dollar out of my hand, it will be yours to keep. And then I would go on and talk about this matter of believing and wait, and always the same reaction. Nobody moved. So I would say it again, I have a silver dollar in my hand. I'm a man of my word, and the first one who gets to this platform and takes this silver dollar out of my hand, it will be yours to keep. And then I would see someone kind of move out a little on the edge of the seat, and then they would look around, and then in a desperate leap, they would run down that aisle on that platform and stand there looking at me, wondering if I meant it. And I would say, here, reluctantly, they would reach out expecting me to close my hand, I'm sure, at any moment. And I would always hand it to them. Their eyes would get big like that. They would turn around and give the biggest grin you ever saw to their mom and dad and turn and go back and sit down and then were their mad kids in that service. <laughs> I analyze that because the same thing happened every time. You know what I came up with? Pride. What if he doesn't give it to me? I'll be embarrassed. All my friends will see me. I'll turn red. I'll want to drop into the floor. So I'm just not going to go. I don't think he's going to do it anyway. Pride. Pride keeps us from the best things that God has to offer. The humble always got the prize. The proud always were angry. In Luke 18, verse 10, Jesus talked about two men who went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. The Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not as other men are. I'm such a righteous, wonderful man. The publican stood afar off, smote his breast, said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, who went away justified? The answer was obvious. The publican who smote his breast in humility and said, God, be merciful to me a sinner. He didn't care who heard him. In my former church in Olympia, I had a deacon, not the one that's worshiping with us today, but another one, who lived fairly close to our home, about two blocks. And one morning I heard as I awakened that my deacon had had a fire at his house during the night. So I quickly went down there to see what damage was and there was anything I could do, and I saw a house that was greatly damaged. 
and I found the deacon at a neighbor's house. And when the deacon wasn't standing close by, this neighbor told me something I could not believe. He told me that my deacon came running out of that house in the middle of the night without his pants on. My deacon in a neighborhood where I live. When I talked to Don about it, he said, Pastor, I didn't even realize. Man, when you're in a situation like that, you don't think about your pants. You run. The house was on fire. And he found himself standing outside with no pants on, looking at his house burning. When there is a fire, pride disappears. Isn't that great? People run out without clothes. They want to be saved. And they do the funniest things to get saved when there's a fire going on. They don't care about their reputation. That means nothing to them. Anything to be saved. Now apply that. The sixth knot in our lifeline to God is pride. Our big fight today is what is known as humanism, the religion of man. Humanism says we can handle our own problems. We don't need some God to help us. We will be our own God. Take his name off the coins. Take prayer out of the schools. Take it out of the legislative halls. We don't need God. We are our own God. That is the damnation of any man, any woman, any society. Pride tore Lucifer from heaven and condemned him to hell. And it is pride that will keep you from an altar of prayer. It is pride that will destroy your life. You think you can handle your own problems, fight your own battles. You need God. And if you will just humble yourselves and call upon him, you'll find him there always. Be careful. One of the big knots in our lifeline to God is pride. I've been asked on occasion, why is it that we pray on our knees? It's because it's a sign of humility. We drop to our knees because he's such a great God. We couldn't, could not even stand in his presence. We get on our knees acknowledging him as Lord, creator, master of all, savior of our lives. We bow our knee before the God of this world because he's so great and we are nothing. It's good to get on our knees. Something wonderful happens when you drop to your knees before a holy God. Untie that knot in your lifeline to God. A lady by the name of Margaret lived in Boston, Massachusetts years ago. She received word that her mother was dying in Nova Scotia. She sought for a way to get there. She found a train that went to Halifax. But she lived in a little town 50 miles this side of Halifax. But Halifax was the closest station. She got on the train and she said to the conductor, my mother is gravely ill. And I wonder if you will stop this train on your way to Halifax at this point. And he said, 
No, ma'am, I cannot do that. I have my orders. We are to go straight through to Halifax. That is impossible. She said to the conductor, Sir, I just want you to know that there is a greater person superintending this train than you. And she sat back in her seat and looked up to heaven and said, Lord, would you please help me to get to my mother's side before she passes away? At midnight, the conductor was amazed to feel the train slowing down. And he was shocked when it stopped. He was soon seen in the car where this little lady was seated. He stopped by her and said, Ma'am, this is where you wanted to get off. There is a freight train on the track and we cannot proceed until it's moved. But please, ma'am, this station has no one. It's dark and it's dangerous. She said it will be all right. When she stepped off of that train, her brother was standing at the foot of the steps waiting for her. He said, Margaret, I was asleep in my bed, and I awakened with a start, with an irresistible urge to get dressed and come to this station to meet you, knowing that no train ever stopped here. I told my wife, and she said, it's foolish. The train never stops there. But he said, I could not resist this impulse. I got up and dressed. I harnessed the horses, hooked them to the wagon. And I came. And the train stopped. She just smiled. They went on home, and she got to her mother's bedside, had a beautiful time with her dear mother, and then she slipped away to Jesus. God is great. God is mighty. God is all-powerful. Don Moore is a concert pianist. He married a lady whose husband was killed in an automobile accident and whose seven-year-old son was gravely hurt in the same accident. He, too, was an outstanding pianist that already won some awards in his boyhood years, and yet his arm was terribly injured in this accident, and he lost really a hope to live. He would sit and stare. This lady did not know about the power of Christ to heal. She was sitting in her living room watching 100 Huntley Street from Toronto, Canada, David Maine's great program, much like PTL or 700 Club. And Pastor Rutledge from Queensway Cathedral was co-hosting that day, and as he was praying on the program, he said, there is someone with a mangled arm that if you will just stretch out your arm, it will be healed and you will be well. Her eyes opened wide and she wondered if that could be her little boy. 
And she said, suddenly that room was filled with the glory of God. She said, I'd never experienced anything like it, but I knew God was there. And I went over and touched my little boy, and he stretched out his arm, and it was immediately healed. And he ran to the piano, and he began to play on the piano just as beautifully as he had ever played. Magnificent music came out from that piano as this boy was totally healed by the power of God. Iniquity will keep you from that. Not asking will close the gates of heaven. Doubt. Not abiding. Disobedience. Pride. All of this closes off the possibilities of the miraculous. And God knows we need the miraculous in our world today. Some of you here need a miracle. Some of your families need a miracle. Some of your businesses need a miracle. God has opened the windows of heaven by prayer for miracles. But we've got to untie the knots so that the miracles will happen. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, in your daily life, and your discipling process to make sure those six knots are loosened and you have access to God. What He will do with us and through us has yet to be written in books if we will but see God in His power and release His hands to do His work. That book of James is filled with promises, powerful promises from God for your life and mine. Verse 8 of chapter 4 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you believe it? Let us bow then and pray. Lord Jesus, not number one is sin, iniquity. We have to deal with our waywardness, and we do right now. Forgive us.